There is an economic price that these folks are paying because of following Jesus. Why? Because the religion of the day in their country is not Christian, it's other world religions. And they are so committed to it. You see, this is the background of this story that we're about to read this, uh, this day. The background of the passage we're reading here, this is the same thing that's happening in the days of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 4. What's going on there, the backdrop is the nation of Israel. This is the northern kingdom. The nation of Israel, the religion of the day is Baalism, meaning they're worshiping the god Baal or the idol Baal. And so to be a follower of Yahweh is not cool. You're basically out of touch with reality for many of them. It's similar to, for instance, for us. You know, when you're a Christian and you say, yeah, you believe in Jesus, yeah, go to your workplace and tell people they're a Christian and see how people will stare at you. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You're weird, you're out of place is what people will think. Same thing in ancient Israel. Where the religion of the day, people worshiped Baal. And so those who were following the Lord were the minority. And in many cases, they faced economic hardship. And to some extent, many would maybe borrow money or go to a credit card, go to debt because you're trying to feed your family because you cannot do commerce with other people who know that you don't worship the same God they do. So they want nothing to do with you. And so in the moment when things are getting difficult, when you don't know where the next meal will come from for you to feed your family and for you to provide for your spouse and to pay the bills, sometimes it feels like God has forgotten you because the society is becoming more and more and more and more pagan. Sometimes it may feel like God has abandoned the nation. He's no longer here. And we hear revivals in other places, but God is no longer here. Why? Because here I am, a worshiper of Christ, a worshiper of God, and yet economically, I cannot feed my family. So now what? It feels like God has forgotten. It feels like God has abandoned. But the question is, has he? Has he? Is the question. So we'll read 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. And then after we read this remarkable stories, we'll see three things, three things that we can learn about God from this text. So if you have a Bible again, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 to 7, this is what it says. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They, her sons, 
brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left. What a story. What a very weird story. And we'll get to the weird part in a bit. But first, three things we learn about God, and we'll just unveil them as we go along. So the first thing we learn about God from this story, and we'll unpack how it is we learn this thing. The first, God provides for his people. God provides for his people. So here we have a mother. She's, she's widowed. Her husband has just died, and she has two sons. And the issue here is her husband is dead. The husband is gone, and upon his death, he leaves her with a massive debt. And the creditor wants his money back, and obviously she can't pay it back. And so she comes to Elisha, the prophet, Elisha, the man of God, and she's saying, help me, help me, she's crying. Help me, my husband is dead, and you know, she says, you know that my husband revered God. You know that my husband feared God. He worshiped God. So in other words, Elisha would have known who her husband is personally. So this is not some strange guy. So Elisha can vouch to say, yeah, this guy really worshiped God. Yes, I know him. And yes, he's dead. And yes, he feared the Lord and he worshiped God. And this man, this deceased man was part of the company of the prophet. So in other words, in, in the ancient times when a prophet was doing some stuff, there, were other, there was a small group of people that would follow him, follow the prophet around. And sometimes the spirit of God would come upon this group and they would prophesy. And in other words, prophesying does not necessarily mean that they were foretelling what was happening. They were sometimes just foretelling the word of God, meaning they were declaring the truths of the word of God. So anytime, for instance, when you go and share the gospel with someone and tell the person, hey, God created, man rebelled, Christ redeemed, and Christ will come back again, and you unpack the gospel clearly for someone, what are you doing? You're prophesying. Yeah, you're saying, this is the gospel, this is what happens to those who become Christians, and this is what will happen to those who reject. You're prophesying. You're not saying anything new. So this group was following Elisha and sometimes they'd be prophesying and the Spirit of God would come upon them and they would do this. But the prophets, there was no money or financial benefit that they received. So they had to take care of their own families. Now, the, 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 there's a Jewish tradition where it is believed. It is believed that um, uh, this man, uh, this deceased guy, this prophet, may have been the gentleman who hid a whole bunch of prophets from Jezebel. So 1 Kings 18, you will see Jezebel is really angry and she cuts off all these prophets of God and, and she's obviously wanting to kill them. And then there is a, there's a servant Obadiah in, in 1 Kings 18 who at the... Uh, at the cost of his own life, chooses to hide this, 
these uh, prophets of God and began to feed them. So tradition will say that, hey, the man deceased, it might be Obadiah. Now the scriptures don't tell us that, but in any case, this man who's dead was in debt. And it is possible that he was in debt because he was supporting one another because saying Yahweh is God in, an, in, a, in a culture that was so anti-Yahweh was not good. And economically, you would feel the weight of that. The guy's gone. The creditors are coming. And the creditor wants his money back. And so legally, the system was such that if you can't pay your debts, then your family members, your children can be taken by the creditor and your family will become slaves of the creditor. You see, there's a problem for this woman now because in the ancient world, the husband provided for the wife and the family. When the husband died, if they have male children, that the male children will provide for the widow, the mom. And so for the creditor to come and take these kids means they're take, he's taking away this woman's livelihood, which means her situation gets from bad to worse. It's like from frying pan right into the fire. In other words, she will die. She is desperate. This is not going to go easy here. She was at the end of her rope, and that is why she comes and she cries out to this prophet, help me, help me, I don't know what I will do, help me. You see, there are so many stories like this. So many stories where people are desperate and people are drowning, and when I say people, I mean God's people, who are in desperate situations, drowning because of all sorts of Challenges, maybe financial challenges, it may be relational challenges where relationships are going sour and marriages are breaking. It could be health challenges where there is nothing more you can do, there is nothing more the doctors can do for you. The disease is terminal. Now what? Where is God? Where is God? You see, it is in these moments where we wonder whether God even, even cares. Does he care? And maybe you're here today. And maybe you're asking the same question. Because in your life right now, whatever the situation may be, you feel like you're drowning. And God seems so distant. And you've asked for prayer and asked for prayer and asked for prayer and you're sick and tired of being anxious and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. <coughs> Maybe you're asking the same question. Where is God? Where is God? You see, the scriptures continually affirm. The scriptures continually affirm that God cares. God cares about our personal problems. He doesn't just care about the big national problems. God also cares for the little problems as well. The 
scriptures continually affirm this. But you know, the problem is we don't believe it because there are many people whom I've met, many people who I tap the shoulders and I meet and, and I hear what their need is and I say, hey, you know what? The elders pray for people. You know that, right? When next time it's a prayer meeting, come, the elders will pray for you. And people are like, ah, oh, no, I don't want to bother the elders. What? I don't want to bother anyone. I don't want people to know that I have this issue. Let's not pray about Really? Why? Why shouldn't we pray? Is it because you don't think that prayer will work? And so we end up suffering privately and yet the scriptures continually say that God cares about the personal problems of people just as much as he cares about the global issues. So David in uh, Psalm 37:25 he says this I was young and I am now old and yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread never seen David says Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 to 33 I have referred to this passage many times when I preach where Christ is calling his people, don't be anxious, look at the birds of the air. You know, it's a beautiful day. It's been a beautiful day. This weekend will be a beautiful weekend, and I'm sure you walk outside and see birds, find one that is starving. Yet that bird did not plant last year. There is no barn that it's saving all this grain, and yet your heavenly father feeds that bird. Every single one of them. Or... Now that the spring is coming, you will see all these flowers blooming and the people in the gardens working on these beautiful flower beds. Look at every single flower, these beautiful colors. They don't spin, Jesus says. They don't create their own outfits. It's your Father in heaven who clothes them. And yet they are alive today and tomorrow what we do, we just take them and put them in the compost bin when they die. Jesus continues to say, you are more valuable. Matthew chapter 6 verse 32. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows that you need them. See, I try to be a good dad, I think. And when my kids are hungry, I know they are hungry. And they are wanting, I know we are doing a road trip. Are we, are we there yet? I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Of course, I know. I'm looking for the next McDonald's because I know they love it. I know they are hungry. I'd be a terrible dad if I said, no, we are starving today. <laughs> I'd be a terrible dad if I did that. If I know they have needs, I'll provide for them, won't I? That is being a good dad. Your heavenly father, who's better than me, knows that you need all these things. He knows. Why? Because God provides for his people. There's a remarkable biography that is written. Actually, there are multiple volumes of his biography. George Mueller, you've heard of this name. This man, people kept saying, oh, George, you're such a prayer warrior, prayer warrior. And George said, no, I'm not a prayer warrior. I just believe what God says. The scriptures right there, God says he provides for his people. I choose to believe him. And all I do is just, I go and ask. I go and ask. 
And he answers. There's nothing to it. You and I, we make it complicated. We wonder, is he gonna? Is he gonna? Is he gonna? Maybe he won't. Let me not bother him. Right? We complicate things. And yet for Mueller, it's not that complicated. God said he'll provide and I'll choose. So Elisha, he knows that God will neither abandon, he'll not forsake his own. He knows that God cares and that God, he is is trustworthy. And so what does he do? He begins to guide this woman. And this story ends with the widow's debt paid and not just paid, she's not just debtless, but she has enough money, enough money to care for her needs and those of her sons. Debt fully paid. This is how the story ends. God provides for his people. But how does he do it? How does he do it? How does God meet our needs? Sometimes God uses improbable means. That's the second thing we learn about God. God uses improbable means. Now, to say that this woman, this widow was in a bind is to understate the issue. Why? The solutions weren't easy. This was a very difficult situation. The creditor who was coming to take her sons was legally justified in his pursuit to enslave the sons. Legally justified. Also, when the prophet asked the woman, hey, what do you have in your house? I got nothing. Meaning, it is possible she sold everything. All the lands that she had, all the assets, everything liquidated, but the debt is still there. The creditor wants now to take the sons. So what is the man of God to do? See, he cannot rewrite the law, the mosaic law that allows or justifies the creditor to come and take the sons. He can't rewrite it. Nor can he call the um, creditor out for wrongdoing. No. The creditor was within his rights to ask for what he was asking. Now we are up a creek here. That's where things get weird. But before we get to the weird part, why wouldn't God, why wouldn't God then choose just normal, rational means? So what are the normal, rational means? So in Kenya, the country of my birth, I wasn't born in Canada, just in case you didn't know. <laughs> so in Kenya, the country of my birth, we have something called harambe. Now harambe is a, is a Swahili word which means to pull together. So when there's, a, when there's a situation, a crisis, you call out people from the village and you want the, the most prominent person to come and you say, hey, here's the situation, I have a problem, Would you, we need some solutions here. So this prominent person will call for a big gathering, a community town hall meeting, and then everybody will give towards this need. So in particular, when you have a widow who has been left by her husband and she has this massive debt and there's no way she can pay, the community will come and they will do fundraising in North America today in our digital world, we have something called GoFundMe. And so you can GoFundMe for anything you want. Like, hey, let's GoFundMe. Jeff needs a haircut. GoFundMe. <laughs> Things like this. So, so God would have used, God would have used, Elisha would have used a very simple way, like call the Christians, call the godly people. 
Like we know they're godly people there. Why? Because God told Elijah, before Elijah went on chariots of fire, God told Elijah, I have 7,000 people who are mine who are not bowing the knee to Baal. 7,000 of them. So Elisha could have called some of these 7,000 people and told them, hey, you know what? This lady has some need. Can everybody just chip in a dollar or two? Oh, no. This is not what happens. There is no Harambe funds drive here. There is no GoFundMe because the internet wasn't invented quite then. So what happens? So Elisha decides, hey, to tell this woman, and this is where things get weird. Uh, She's broke. Okay, go around the neighborhood and ask for empty jars. And verse 3, don't ask for just a few. Get as many as you can. All these jars. So now imagine... Hassan's knocking on the doors. Uh, do you have a jar, an empty one? Do you have a jar, an empty one? And everybody in the way, what's going on with the Bucknums? They have all these jars <laughs> in their house. Like, it's, it's just weird. And then, after you've collected them, uh, then go inside the house, you shut the door with all these jars behind you and your sons, and then you begin to pour the oil, the little oil that is left in a little jar. Now, it wasn't a glass jar. It was probably made of dirt earth jar. So take this jar and begin to pour the oil into the jars, and when it gets full, it gets what? Full. But it's little. Yeah, when it gets full, you keep pouring, and bring, put it aside and keep and add another and another. In other words, there's a tap. That will be turned on. Behind closed doors. If you were that widow, would you do it? Would you? It's so bizarre that this is what the prophet, and the prophet is not even there. No, you go in with your sons and all these jars, and then you pour. So what does she do? She does. You see, sometimes God calls people to do some bizarre things. This is not the only place. When you go to 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah did this with the widow of Zarephath, where God sends Elijah and says, hey, go to this place, to Zarephath. I have commissioned a woman, she'll feed you. So Elijah gets there, she finds this woman, asks her, hey, give me a glass of water. Oh, and by the way, make me some bread. And the woman says, I don't have much. All I have is enough oil, enough flour for one meal for me and my son. Dude, I don't have anything for you. No, 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 don't worry about it. God has said that oil would not run dry and the flour will always keep replenishing. Just make me some bread first and then you can feed your family as well. Until the, the, uh, the, the famine is done. When the rains come, that'll be it. Sure enough, every day they were eating and that oil did not dry up and the flour did not run out in this widow's house. How bizarre. Why does God choose to do things like this? Why does he do crazy things like this? And in many cases, particularly for the widow in our story today, this is not a public thing. Why? Because she's to enter this house, shut the door, just her and her sons. In other words, it's a very personal encounter that this woman will have with God. Very, very personal encounter that she will have with God. You see, when I was there, I met some of the church planters whom we are supporting. 
and they go to this school, uh, like a discipleship school, and they are learning and they're training together. And so when we were there, they, were stu- they, they kept standing up and telling us their testimony. And so one was sharing how he had come to saving faith. And this man said very clearly that there was, before he became a Christian, his mother was demon-possessed. And they went to every witch doctor imaginable in the region, and nothing happened. And then there was a Christian who said, you know what? There is a God who can deal with this demon. And they decided to give it a shot, even though they didn't worship God while they were Hindus. And so they bring the mom who's demon-possessed to this Christian who prays, and the demon gone. He becomes a Christian. Privately in a room. Demon leaves. And that was a turning point for this pastor. A very personal answer that led to unwavering allegiance to Jesus. See, it's interesting. Why does God do this for this woman? And I may suggest this. God was seeking unwavering allegiance from this woman. But it's not just that that he was seeking. There is more that God was seeking, more than just unwavering allegiance. There's a bigger picture. And what is that bigger picture? Point number three that we learn about God. God is always at work. Always, always, always at work. God is always at work here. That's why these weird things happen. God is always at work. How is it, you may say? Let us take a step back from this story and look at the greater picture of what's actually happening in this book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings. See, these books, the two books, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, they were written when the nation of Israel was already taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and now they're in Babylon. And the nation is now wondering, how on earth did we get here? How did we get here? We were supposed to be God's people. God is our God and we are his people. How did we get here? It reminds me of this past week, a friend of mine, a buddy of mine, came and was talking to me and he brought me news that I didn't know. One of our mutual friends is in massive trouble as we speak. He's so in trouble with the law that he will be sentenced in the next two to three weeks. And he may go away for a very long time for an offense that he did. So my buddy and I were talking and I'm wondering, how did we get here? So I'm talking to my buddy and my buddy began. So now we begin to to rehash. Okay, I remember when he did this and I remember he did this. And I'm like, okay, now I can see the history as to what led him to do this stupid act that now he'll go away for a long time. I can now see the history. See, the nation of Israel, this is the reason why the book of 1 and 2 Kings is written. Why are, they in the, why are they in captivity? Why did Nebuchadnezzar come? Why did God allow this to happen? Yes, let us rehash the story. This is what happened. 1 Kings, all the way to 2 Kings. And the book reads like a blur. But then you come to 2 Kings chapter 4, there's an interruption from all these wicked king, wicked king, a good king, wicked, 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 a good one, wicked, 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 a good one, and then interruption. Chapter 4, there's a man of God, Elisha, and these miracles that are happening, all these miracles are happening. So in the midst, in the midst of all this wickedness that's happening, right in the middle of it, God is still at work. What is he doing? He's speaking through his prophets. God is also working on a national stage. Remember Elijah, before Elisha, in 1 Kings 18? 
the Mount Carmel experience. God calls Elijah believe fire from heaven, the fire comes. So God is still doing some things on a massive national stage, but God is also working on a very personal level where he's answering. We don't know this woman's name. We really don't know what her husband's name was. We can guess by tradition, but the scriptures don't say. All we know is that her husband was one of the prophets and then he died, she had debt, and she had nowhere to go. And this is how God provided for her. Behind closed doors. In the midst of a pagan society that has... dead to God, dead to his servants, dead to the gospel, God is still at work. So yes, God is working and he's doing these things so that you can get this unwavering allegiance, but it also shows, it also shows that God is always at work. Even when the society is rotting, God is still, God is still at work. You see, again, like I said, Beautiful people, rich culture, all the kids, wonderful kids, beautiful children. And yet, and yet, very religious, but committed to a Christless eternity. Dead, unresponsive, uninterested in the gospel. Rich culture, and yet committed to a Christless eternity, dead, unresponsive, uninterested in the gospel. You go to the Middle East, same thing. Very religious, committed to a Christless eternity. Dead, unresponsive, disinterested, persecuting Christians. So I was seated, quick story, I was seated, had lunch with this pastor. We're talking. And so I asked him, so tell me, what kind of opposition do you get? And then he just smiled and said, Ezra, they beat me. And sometimes they stone me in my eyes. What? Excuse me? They, they what? They stone, they stone you. And then he just smiles. It's just stones. <laughs> just stones. Committed to a Christless eternity. And sadly, even in our Canada. Beautiful people, rich culture, yet dead, unresponsive, disinterested in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet in the midst of it, in India, in Turkey, in the Middle East, even here in Canada, and yet we hear testimony after testimony after testimony about how Christ is drawing men, women, and children to himself. Yes, we may not see it every day. But constantly, constantly, we hear stories. Man, people are seeing visions of Christ, Christ coming back, coming, coming to them and saying, hey, I am who I say I am. And people are coming to saving faith. People are coming to saving faith. People are coming to saving faith. Many who have diseases, those diseases are being healed constantly, constantly. God is still at work. So here at Northview, here at Northview, we believe that the Lord is also at work here in Canada, both nationally and personally as well. So personally, do you know how many people God is answering prayer 
There are so many stories, I'm, I'm sure, in this room, and even those who are watching, many stories about how God continues to answer prayers. People who are nominal Christians are now coming back to the faith. People are receiving Christ and seeking to be baptized. If you don't believe that God is at work, come to a baptism service and hear the testimonies of those being baptized and tell me if God is dead. We believe, here in Northview, that God is at work in our nation and he's answering prayers and people are coming to faith at the mission campus. People are coming to faith in East Abbotsford, Tri-City Church, even here at Adams Road Campus. God is at work. God is at work. He ain't dead yet. Yes, our culture seems like God is not here. He is. And not only that, nationally we believe that the harvest is plentiful. And so we are trusting God to raise up workers to go. That's why we are doing this multiplication thing that we want to do. We want to plant as many churches and replant as many churches as God will enable us. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful, but the labor is a few. So we want to go. I want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to plant churches and replant them. Why? God is at work. So let me challenge us today and say this. Invite a friend over and share stories, exchange stories of the wonderful things that God is doing. Because sometimes when God answers prayers, we are so personal with them and we don't share evidences of God's grace and the wonderful things that God is doing in our midst. Because God is working here. It's the same way. He's working in other parts of the world. He is working. And I invite you, I invite you to be part of this story. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, oh man, don't sit on the sideline. Don't say, oh, I will come to know him another time. No, today is the day of salvation. And the gospel is simple. God created the world, but we rebelled. But Christ came to pay for our rebellion so that we may have life, life again, eternal life. And this Christ who died and rose again will come back again and make all things new. And he loves you. He loves you. That's why he paid for your sin. Oh, you can know him today. Don't wait for tomorrow. You can know him from today. There are people who will be here to pray for you. The prayer rooms in, in, in the mission campus, East Abbey, there'll be people to pray for you right here in Abbotsford. There'll be people to pray for you if you want to know Jesus. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. God provides for his people. And sometimes he will use unusual ways. And the reason he will use unusual ways is to show that he's always, always at work. Let us pray. So, Father, for these few words, oh Lord, how we pray, how we pray that your spirit will make them come alive in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to continue trusting you and to follow you. Lord, we know that you are at work. And Father, there are many needs that are represented in this room and even in those who are watching the video. 
and watching this, Father, I know there are many needs represented all across our campuses here. And so, Father, I pray, would you be hearing the silent prayers that your people are praying? And Father, would you, would you uh, meet these needs in conventional ways and unconventional ways again to show again, Father, that you are always at work, always at work, Father. We know that you provide. So, Lord, would you do so? Would you hear the prayers of your people? Father, I also pray, fill us with your spirit and help us to be committed to the greater purpose, the greater mission, Lord, and help us to multiply churches and tell our neighbors about Jesus and to fund these movements and these efforts. Why? Because we believe that Christ is coming back again to take home those who are his. And Lord, the harvest is plentiful. Help us, Father, to join in your mission to accomplish your purposes. Commend ourselves not to you, Father, in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.